Hebrews Bible Study, number 5, The Incarnation and Mission of Jesus, for lay leaders and deacons to conduct after the Sunday service or during a midweek Bible study session. Hear the word of our Lord from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 18. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him, for a little while, lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Teleological Christology In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the author gives the first exhortation, which compares the early church with the Israelites during their wilderness sojourn. His main point was, given how the angelic proclamation of the law was considered trustworthy, thus making the Israelites as having no excuse, the congregation to which Hebrews was written has even less of an excuse since Christ Jesus is God himself and is the final revelation. But this might lead the reader to ask why the difference matters. If both the angelic message and the message of Christ are trustworthy for believers, what difference does it make? The four answers he gives regard the direct application of Christ's incarnation and atonement to the believer's life. First answer, verses 5 through 8a. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? 
You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Before entering into the teleology of Christ's incarnation and passion, the author gently reminds the reader that Jesus not only is superior to the angels in nature, being divine, but also he has a superior status designated by our Heavenly Father. This means that Christ is of far greater importance and merits real loyalty on our part. Of course, it might not look like it to the average first-century person who has been raised up with all sorts of stories regarding the powerful acts of angels in comparison with Jesus, who was at various times called just a healer and a prophet. But this has been predicted in Psalm 8. It is no coincidence that the author cites this psalm as Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man several times and is called by this title 88 times in the New Testament. The witness of the psalmist, King David, establishes here that the Son of Man is designated as lower than the angels temporarily, but he is now ruler over all. Second answer, 8b through verse 9. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The author readily admits that it does not look like everything is in subjection to Christ. Not that it appears as though there is nothing under his feet, but certainly the congregation does not see a total victory. But then he reminds the reader that Christ was made lower than the angels so that he could die on our behalf. This introduces the clear theological distinction between Christianity and all other religions. The Christian faith teaches that God is for you. Jesus Christ, King of the entire universe, underwent death for you. Other religions, such as Buddhism or Islam or even the Old Testament religion, if somebody was not paying attention to the gospel presented in the Old Testament scriptures, they oftentimes frame the how-to guides of their prophets and leaders as some sort of act of grace, Siddhartha Buddha supposedly taught people how to reach nirvana. The Hindu Vedic texts speak of how to reach an enlightened state, while Moses teaches people how to obey God, given that God had saved them from slavery in Egypt. But while the Old Testament does have grace, it is easy to see it in terms of works, as the Pharisees did. All other religions in the world function in a graceless state, where mankind is expected to save himself. There is no salvation in these faiths that is from the top down, from our chief deity to us. Christianity maintains this key distinction 
between itself and all other religions, and the author of Hebrews is keen to bring this up as his chief answer. God is for you. Christ is for you. He died for you. Third answer, Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 13. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Further developing the notion that Christ's work was for you, the author explains that our Heavenly Father is the one who decided on the plan of salvation, knowing that it is fitting or necessary that Christ's purpose, that is, bringing many sons to glory, is completed through the pain inflicted on him. One might be tempted to see the tenth verse as advocating for adoptionism through the English translation using perfect, as though Jesus was somehow imperfect before the atonement. This is an impossible interpretation, as the author of Hebrews has already established that Jesus Christ is God numerous times by this point, making him already perfect in nature. The word translated as perfect, though, is teleosai, a verb form of telos, or purpose. In other words, though Jesus is already perfect in the sense of being eternal and divine, he would not be a perfect founder of our salvation if he did not suffer. If he has not incarnated as a human being and died for us, then no one would be saved. When the author says, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source, and then goes about calling us brothers of Jesus. He is demonstrating the relationship between Christ and Christians. The depth of this telos in this passage is best explained in this way. Premise 1. Jesus comes from God the Father through eternal generation. Premise 2. Mankind comes from Adam through natural parentage. Premise 3. In the Incarnation, Christ is made man, taking on a human nature in addition to the divine. Premise 4. This means that through his humanity, Christ comes from Adam. Premise 5. By taking on a human nature, those who are saved by Christ are adopted by God the Father, being many sons brought to glory. Conclusion. Thus, those who are saved may say that they come from God by adoption, while Christ comes from Adam through incarnation. Both parties, Christ and those who are saved, may be said to have the same source. Hence, Isaiah chapter 8 verses 17 and 18 being quoted by the author, I will put my trust in him, and behold, I and the children God has given me, reflect this brotherhood which Christ has established in the Incarnation. We are God's children now by adoption, given to Christ, who in his humanity is our brother. Fourth answer, 
Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. In this final section in the passage, the author describes the importance of the Incarnation even further. By becoming our brother and having a human nature, Jesus is the perfect representative of humanity who can contend with the devil and defeat him, thus liberating all who are offspring of Abraham. In using the term high priest, the author is pointing to the notion of high priest as a chief religious representative and mediator between the people he represents and God. If Christ had not been incarnated with a human nature, sharing all of our struggles except guilt for sin, Christ of course never sinned, then he could not have served in this role. We must be careful to note that though the author is writing to Jewish Christians, he is not limiting the atonement to physical descendants of Abraham, as scripture has already stated that Abraham's true children are those who share his faith, not his bloodline. Stated directly in Romans 4 verse 16, Romans 9, and Galatians 3. Nor is this passage advocating for ransom theology, or the idea that Christ had to pay a ransom to the devil in the form of his own life to save humanity. This is impossible given the plain words here that Christ will destroy the devil. Regarding the devil as one who, quote, has the power of death, this is a second-hand power. The devil is called a tempter in Matthew 4, verse 3, 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 5, and 1 Corinthians 7, verse 5, all identifying him as one who tries to get us to sin. If someone sins, they are under a death sentence by the righteous requirement of God's law. The devil thus proliferates death by first tempting us to sin then accusing those sinners who would seek absolution, per Job chapters 1 and 2, Zechariah chapter 3, and Revelation 12 verse 10. Interestingly enough, the author states that it is through the fear of death that we were in lifelong slavery, not death itself. The devil is a master at presenting the second use of the law, that of a mirror, to engage in his accusations. Satan does not necessarily terrify us by himself, but rather he lets the law put fear in our hearts. Praise the Lord that Christ defeats him. Conclusion The four answers here are all connected, building upon one another to present a full case. In summary, premise one, Jesus is king having been only temporarily under angels in status. Premise 2. 
He was under the angels temporarily through the incarnation so he could die for you. Premise 3. By being made man, he made assurance that we might belong to God through adoption. Premise 4. By becoming one of us, he now has defeated the devil and serves as our high priest for our benefit. Conclusion. The first exhortation is relevant because Jesus Christ is for you. Amen and amen.